0: Friends, if you would turn in your pew Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew, we're going to look at chapter 21. It is the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we're going to talk a little bit about this triumphal part of it. Let me pray for us, and we'll study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray, amen. In most Bibles, if you take a look at them, you'll see that there are section headings that are given to a section of scripture, basically to give you an idea, a little clue as to what that scripture is going to be about. So many, many, many translations mark this week as Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that heading has always been there, it's never bothered me much until I really started thinking about the word triumphal. According to Webster's, triumphal means of or pertaining to, celebrating or commemorating a triumph or a victory. So in some respects, the title makes sense. This is Jesus' march to victory. We know that now, on this side of the story... But he hasn't obtained the victory yet. And all things considered, this is a pretty lame triumphal entry, at least in the way that we Americans understand triumphal entry. Earlier this morning, um, with the technology at the well, I was able to show this clip of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is a great film. It's a great film to watch during... Spring break, in fact. But Ferris Bueller decides that he is going to take over a huge parade, parade going through the streets of Chicago. And he's got thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. And all of a sudden, you hear this voice come through on the microphone. And there is Ferris up on a float, surrounded by all these people singing singing loudly to all of them, and he's dancing, and he's excited, and you can can see as they go past the grandstand of the parade, all of the honored guests, they have these sashes on that say honored guests, just looking on in horror that he has commandeered this whole spectacular event. It is huge. There's marching bands and there's dance groups and kids and old folks and little tiny babies screaming and shouting and waving flags and there's confetti everywhere. That is a triumphal entry. When you really look at the story of Palm Sunday and you try to compare it to our understanding of triumphal entry, you know that there is a huge gap between the reality of what happened on that day, and our understanding of what triumphal entry means. For starters, anyone who watches the news a couple weeks prior to the Macy's Day Parade knows that this truly spectacular event involves a ton of planning. It doesn't just happen. There's tons of choreography, and hot air balloons, and dancers, and marching bands, and movie stars, and Thousands upon thousands of people and tons and tons and tons of confetti. The Palm Sunday story. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. So I ask you, what kind of planning is this? If you're going to have a triumphal entry, don't you think that you should decide on this long before you happen to walk up to the outskirts of a town that you are going to triumphantly enter? Shouldn't somebody have, have contacted Street vendors, so, so they could be selling hot dogs and, and Slurpees to people. And, and shouldn't they have hired a, a rock band or, or some major movie star to kick off the event? Did anybody contact zoning? You do not just shut down the streets. This is not downtown Bradenton. And then, a donkey. That's your plan. That's the plan that you've got for this triumphal entry. You're going to make your grand entrance on a Donkey. If you're coming by equine, shouldn't there be this gallant, white, majestic, noble steed so that everyone knows that you're the great hero, the one who's going to rescue everybody, that knight in shining armor? Not only that, but Jesus didn't even have a donkey of his own. He had to go and borrow one from some people that he didn't even know. Now that took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophets, saying... Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there has to be a donkey, even if it's a borrowed one. But we're still not at the triumphal part. Now, as I mentioned before, in order to have a triumphal entry, there have to be people. You have to have throngs of people who are just waiting in anticipation. And in this case, the people were there. They were waiting for someone, someone who would save them, someone who was going to enter into their story and transform it and change their world. So they see Jesus. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, and along comes Jesus, plodding into town on a donkey. Put yourself in the place of those early followers. Life has been hard for you. Not Bradenton hard. Jerusalem hard. It's been painful and oppressive, not just for a little while, but for generations upon generations. It's the only life that you've ever known. Your faith has been trampled on. It has been desecrated. It has been ignored. Your people have been enslaved. There has been a mass killing of a generation of baby boys. Taxes get heavier with each passing year. Employment options continue to shrink and shrink and shrink. Resources of every kind are becoming more and more scarce, causing people to treat others with contempt while at the same time growing in their own pride and greed. Over the years, I've told the Palm Sunday story over and over and over again, and yet... This year, it means something very different to me. This past Friday morning, my whole understanding of the importance of Palm Sunday came into a new light. I was sitting at my computer, a little ding goes off in the corner, that's my Facebook, telling me that I have a new message. And the message was from the financial secretary of the first church that I ever served, and she wanted me to know, she wanted me to know that DJ, one of my very first youth, had died early that morning in a car accident. And at first, I just just stared at the message. I was certain that her facts were off, that it couldn't possibly be DJ, that she had not gotten this right. And I started thinking back over the last few years, Pastor Sung has lost kids from his youth group, but not me. David Johnson, one of our elders, is the director of Young Life, had lost kids, but not me. Not once in almost 20 years of ministry have I ever lost one of my kids. I'd baptized them, I have officiated their weddings, but I've never lost one, and friends, I am heartbroken. My thoughts immediately turned to DJ's parents, David and Joyce. DJ was their only child. He was a long awaited child. What must they be feeling in those moments? And what must they be feeling in these days? All of the hurt and the pain and the despair and the loss. That's what Jesus was riding into on that palm filled day. That's what the people were anticipating that he would ride into their pain. Because see, at that point, the resurrection was a great hope, but it was not a reality yet. And the people were desperate. They were desperate for a new way, some way to alleviate all the pain and the suffering. And here comes Jesus on this borrowed donkey that is going to lead him to a borrowed room for Monday, Thursday and his last supper, and ultimately to a borrowed tomb. Is this what the people were expecting? A Savior who has no material resources of his own, no weapons, no cavalry of men, no nothing. What did they think he was going to do? Their hopes and expectations were running high, excitement filled the air. Maybe they thought that that when Jesus finally got to the city, that he would magically transform into something else, someone of great stature and power, someone who could put the world in its place and, and bring the leaders low. Now we know, we know on this side of the story that Jesus did exactly what they were expecting, but he did it in a way that they never, ever could have anticipated. It's always amazing to me how closely our perceptions of Christmas and Palm Sunday actually are. When Jesus was born into the world, it couldn't have been more opposite of what the people thought they were looking for. We always bash the poor innkeeper every year. Every year, that poor innkeeper for sticking the savior of the world out in the manger to be born in a pile of hay and animals. But he didn't know. He had no way of knowing that this little baby would become the savior of the world, that he would transform everything and turn everything that we thought that we knew about the world upside down. Those gathered by the side of the road on that Palm Sunday, waving their palms, didn't really know. They didn't really know what a pivotal moment they were living in and that their world was going to change. And that it was going to be so much better than they could ever imagine. DJ's parents, they're people of faith. But even knowing what they know and believing what they believe, a Palm Sunday that comes with such a humble and unassuming Savior is going to be hard for them to reconcile. The victory is not yet won. And based on the description that we have in Scripture of this whole event, it's not really looking so great. DJ's passing is is so raw, it's so fresh, that the image of Palm Sunday expresses all of the hope that we want to have, that we really, really want to have in the midst of our sin. But at the same time, Palm Sunday hints at the doubt that comes with the humility of Jesus riding in to save us, on a lowly steed, on a dusty road. But friends, I want to tell you that there's a gift. There's a gift to be had in Palm Sunday, even if the triumphal entry is not the right word for it. Palm Sunday makes the Easter story even more compelling, even more extraordinary, because when you consider where Jesus came from, what he brought with him into that city, and how he opposed the way of violence and retribution at every turn... The fact that he still overcame death and sin is the sign of an extraordinary God and a tremendous Savior. Palm Sunday is your invitation into the life of Jesus. Good Friday is your invitation into his death. Easter is your invitation into his resurrection. But today, today you are invited into the life of Jesus. Now imagine if Jesus had come in a different way. If all the authorities had been properly notified, all the celebrities were brought in for their important photo shots, the Jerusalem High School marching band is kicking off the festivities, and at the end of the parade, just like Santa Claus, Jesus comes riding into town on his high horse. You know, when they have those types of parades, only a very few people get close enough to really see and really touch and really be a part of the celebration. In fact, if you look closely, you'll notice that they construct all kinds of barriers so that common people can't really be involved as anything other than spectators. What a disconnect that kind of entry would have been for the people who loved Jesus. Jesus, who spent his entire life being accessible to people. Everyone from tax collectors to prostitutes to the rich and famous had equal access to Jesus. Jesus, who would travel miles out of his way to meet the woman at the well or stop by the beautiful gate to heal the blind man. Jesus, who was visited by the shepherds, the lowest of the low, the ones whose testimony wouldn't even hold up in court, was they were invited to be there at Jesus's birth. What kind of message would that have sent to his people if in his final week, Jesus decided that was the time to put up the dividing lines, to throw up the barriers that would keep some people in and make sure others were kept out. What made that day, that palm-filled day, so special is that it was born out of a place of desire for a better way, a recognition of the people that sin hurts Sin hurts, and there's not enough money or things in this world that can take away the pain. And the people themselves came out in joyous, in joyous response, all on their own. It wasn't contrived or orchestrated, except that the prophets foretold that a day like this would come. And so the people were able to claim Jesus as their very own, even if in that moment they didn't fully understand what was going to be ahead of them. Palm Sunday is our invitation to participate in the life of Jesus, to acknowledge the dirty roads that we walk on, the things that don't really belong to us, that we're only just borrowing, to anticipate salvation even in the midst of doubt. And it's an invitation that's for all of us. Every one of us, nobody got excluded from the triumphal entry. Children stood by the road and they, and no one stopped them from waving their palms in joy. The old man who had known nothing but a very hard life was welcome to be a part of the procession. The young woman who cheated on her husband could get close enough to Jesus to see the forgiveness in his eyes. The tax collector, who didn't bother paying his own taxes, was not shunned, but was welcomed to be part of what was happening. And the town drunk, who didn't even know what was going on around him, could still sit by the side of the road and let grace wash over him. Palm Sunday is for everybody. The triumphal entry is not exactly how we would describe triumphant. But if we were honest. If we're going to be honest, for those of us who want forgiveness, who wrestle with doubt, who feel abandoned and alone and beat down at times, the arrival of one who is at least willing to ride into town and take on our sins is something for us to feel hopeful and triumphant about. We should follow him, see where he's going. To God be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.